You're listening to audio from Mercy Hill Church of Port Austin. To learn more about us, you can visit mercyhillpa.org. Many of you know I grew up in a home with three sisters and no brothers. Um, in other words, I was the thorn among the roses, um, okay? That was um, how I felt at times. And, and I've learned to appreciate that now, now that I'm older. There are some, some good things about that. But as a kid, man, I, I just really hated it. In fact, um, I would ask Santa like every year for a brother um, for like five years straight. Um, and little did I know a, l- a little surgery had been um, already taken place that would prevent that from happening. So, you know, Santa's like, man, my hands are tied here, man, right? Like, I, don't, I don't really know what to do for you, bud. But, but man, I was just begging for a boy all the time. But one of the things that my dad did that I think um, because there was like this home full of women, um, he thought, you know, I really need to make sure my son um, doesn't become a girl, right? Like we, we need to, we need to protect him from all this girliness and make him manly. Okay. That's, that was kind of one of my dad's missions. Okay. And so he would take me hunting and fishing. And I, I mean, I had my hand in the carcass of a deer as a little kid digging out the organs and all kinds of fun stuff like that. I once witnessed my dad plunge a toilet with his bare hand, kind of disgusting, but you got to do what you got to do when there's uh, nothing there. Um, to fix it, but he would take me roofing. Some of you are like, really? Like, you got a few hours till lunch. You're good, okay? Um, he would take me roofing houses, working outside, things like that. And, and you've all heard the line by now, if you've been coming um, to our church for any number of time, that whenever I would cry or start to whine, he would sometimes say, man, I thought I had three girls. I guess I have four. Um, so, wow, that was, oh, that was a sting, you know? Man up, right? And some of this I know we joke about as like archaic view of manhood, but I'm thankful for it, and it was good. And the reason my dad did it is because he wanted me to grow up, right? He wanted me to become a man. He wanted me to mature. He didn't want me to not be able to handle myself in the real world. Um, and and a, lot of, a lot of what this passage about here in the, in the passage to Hebrews is the same thing, but in a spiritual sense. He wants these people, the author of Hebrews wants his congregation to grow up, to mature, to know what they believe and why they believe it, to, to learn, to teach, to discern, to grow. That, that's his goal as he, as he pauses his argument about the priesthood of Jesus and he turns his attention to the congregation. He's saying, hey, it's time to grow up. Man, you guys are still on milk and diapers and you need to grow up. That's what the passage is all about today. And so just to remind you where we've been, last week our author started to bring up the high priestly ministry of Jesus where Jesus represents us before God, um, that we go through Jesus to the Father because of his sacrifice on our behalf. And he's starting to get into this and he says he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And this is like a really awesome, powerful theme that he's going to unpack. And, and he says, he kind of hits pause on the argument. And in verse 11 he says, about this we have much to say. But it's hard to explain because you become dull of hearing. So he's going to pause there and he's going to start talking to them and giving them really some stern warnings. Next week is very stern. Um, So you're like, well, I'm just not going to come next week then. No, you should still come. Um, But he's going to give some strong warnings. But then if we pick it up in verse um, 1 of chapter 7, you'll notice for this Melchizedek, he just jumps right back into Melchizedek again. So this is a little pause in the argument where he's turning his attention to them and saying, hey, you guys need to grow up. It's time to grow up as Christians. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to actually walk through this passage as a whole. I'm going to explain it as we walk through it. And then I'm going to pull five or actually four principles um, that we can apply sort of towards the back half of the message. So it's a little different. Sometimes I'll give you points as we go. This time we're just going to walk through the entire passage and apply it at the end. And so we're going to pick it up in verse 11. And really the, 
the main thing that he's trying to do here actually is to tell them to grow up. But he's also saying that some of you haven't grown at all. There's no evidence of God's spirit in your life. And if this continues, you're actually in danger of false teaching and apostasy, which he's going to get into next week. And you're like, oh, that's a big word. We'll explain it next week. But let's look at verse 11 and we'll just kind of walk through the passage together. It says this about this, about this Melchizedek, this priestly ministry that Jesus has about this. We have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So really, it's not hard because it's hard. It's hard because the listeners aren't listening. Not going to say that to you guys, by the way. Just saying. Verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. So here he's saying, basically, I'd like to teach you more about Melchizedek and this priestly ministry of Jesus. But it's hard to explain because you have become lazy or slow in your ability to listen. That's what that word dull means in the Greek. It's laziness, it's slothfulness, it's slowness. He then takes it a step further and uses a classroom metaphor and says, by now you ought to be the ones teaching on this stuff, but instead you need to be taught again. So he's, he's pulling this metaphor in and then he switches to the, from the classroom to the living room. Look at verse 12. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So that, that would sting a little bit. I don't know about you guys, but I mean, he's straight up saying, like, you guys are little babies. <laughs> You're little toddlers who are refusing to grow up in your faith. You're still walking around in diapers and living off of milk. You can't even handle solid food because you haven't grown. You're unskilled in the truths of God. You can't handle the deeper truths because you're immature, and because of this, you lack the discernment needed to distinguish good from evil. So let's pick it up in chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Therefore, in light of all this, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of an instruction about washings, the laying out of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Now here, what he says is in light of the fact that they're still so immature, what they need to do is they need to move on to maturity. Okay, so that's kind of the whole point of the message. Move on to maturity. They need to leave these elementary doctrines and they need to specifically move on um, to deeper things. Now, when we come to this, we got three pairs of these doctrines that he lists. And some of you are like, man, I never learned this stuff. Like, that's elementary. Um, but there's, there's a little bit of question about what he's referring to here. And, and there's some different arguments out there. But the first pair is repentance from dead works and faith toward God. The second pair is instruction about washings and the laying on of hands. And the third is the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So, so there's some debate. Is he referring here to elementary Christian doctrines? Or is he talking about the foundational Jewish, Jewish doctrines that laid the foundation for Christianity? So that's kind of the question. Now, it really doesn't change the application that much because either way, he's saying grow up. Okay, and so I could just gloss over this, but I wanted to just throw this out there to you that as I study this, some commentators, again, think that it's the ABCs of the Christian faith. Okay, and this makes sense because repentance, that's Christianity, faith, resurrection, eternal judgment. These are Christian truths. However, as I studied this, I actually became convinced um, that these are referring to those foundational Jewish teachings that form the backdrop of Christianity. And here's really the reason why, that the Old Covenant was a foundation for the New Covenant. And um, really quickly, 
Um, just to kind of explain this, some of you have translations that say, that's all right, just a little reminder that we all need to wake up, right? We're dull of learning. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so some of you have translations where it says instructions about baptisms. Um, and so your translation philosophy took it and just immediately said this is baptism. But ESV says washings, and it even has a footnote that talks about ceremonial washings. Later in the book, the same author of Hebrews is going to use this word to refer to Jewish ceremonial washings. So this has led me to believe that he's talking about foundational truths of, of Judaism that form the backdrop for Christianity. And again, they're wanting to go back to Judaism, remember? And he's saying, you need to leave this stuff. That, form, that was the shadow. Jesus is the substance. And so if I were to apply this, I would say he's saying this. In the Old Covenant, the Jews believed in repentance and faith toward God. But this pointed to the New Covenant where we're saved by repenting and believing in Jesus. In the Old Covenant, the Jews believed in ritual washings and the laying on of hands. And this pointed to the new covenant where our sins are washed away and we're set apart into the community of faith for God. In the old covenant, the Jews believed in resurrection and eternal judgment. There were hints of it there. But this pointed to the new covenant where Jesus would conquer death for us and save all those who believe from future judgment. So the author, again, is saying, leave the shadow and move on to the substance. Like these Jews, they wanted to go back to that physical temple with those physical sacrifices and he's saying, no, 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 those were a shadow. Jesus is the substance. So why would you go back? Jesus is greater. Jesus is better. And so move on to maturity. Grow in your Christian faith. That's the argument that I see in this passage. So what we're going to do now is we're going to pull four expectations from Christians that I saw in this. I keep wanting to say five because I had a list of five, but then I boiled it down to four um, for the sake of time for you guys because I love you guys. All right. Um, so we're just going to do four today. And these are four expectations that I see in the passage that, honestly, they may be challenging to you, but that's a good thing. Um, they ought to be. We need to hear this, this challenge that he's given us. And so the first one is this. It is expected that Christians learn. It is expected that Christians learn. Look again at verse 11. You're like, yeah, the obvious, right? But just hear me out here. He says, about this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Again, I was listening to a lecture on this, and, and Dr. Michael Kruger put out this point. He said, notice the author doesn't say it's hard because it's too rich in theological nature or it's, it's hard because it's too deep or it's over your heads. He doesn't say that. He says, the reason it's hard to get into this stuff is because you guys aren't willing to listen. You're not willing to put the discipline in to learn these things so that I can share them with you. Let me see if I can illustrate it for you, okay? So wives... It's not hard to ask your husband to take out the trash, right? That's not a hard, deep truth that he can't understand. But sometimes he doesn't hear you, right? Because <laughs> he's dull of hearing, okay? Now, I just started a whole bunch of fights, okay? We got, we got time to get through this, okay? But I'm sure, husbands, we could go the other way with some things, right? Um, but I'm not going to get into that because my wife's perfect, okay? Um, so, but you get the point. What he's saying is, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus, this, this rich teaching of his priesthood and how he's in this line of Melchizedek all the way from the Old Testament. And, and it's glorious and it's wonderful and it's going to feed your soul, but man, it's hard for me to explain this stuff to you because you're lazy, you're slow, you're dull. You're not willing to put the work in to learn these truths that are so vital for your soul. So the application here is pretty obvious. Do you discipline yourself to learn the scriptures, to learn theology? Do you come to church on Sunday awake, prepared, and ready to receive teaching? Or have you become dull of hearing? If you're honest, have you just kind of 
just kind of going through the motions, just kind of coasting. This isn't really something I put a lot of work into. Are you lazy in your learning? Are you slothful? As Christians, we need to discipline ourselves to learn. That's just a, a basic fact of Christianity. The word disciple originally had the idea of a learner. You would learn from your teacher. You would follow your teacher. So it's not just head knowledge. It's head knowledge that leads to heart knowledge that leads to hand knowledge, right? We're actually going to live this stuff out. But you're a learner as a Christian. And so, man, are you slothful? Are you lazy in your learning? Okay, that's what he's trying to challenge us with. So it's, it's expected that Christians learn. Next, this one may shock you. It's expected that Christians teach. Look at verse 12. He says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Now this isn't saying that all Christians should become pastors or seminary professors. That's not what it's saying. Um, there are some who are called to that, that pursue that, that are going to go even deeper than maybe the average Christian would. But this is saying that all Christians should know enough information about the scriptures, and about Christianity that they can instruct others in the faith. This makes sense since Jesus called all of us to what? Make disciples of all nations. We just said disciples are learners. Okay, and what does is, what is he go on to say? Teaching them to obey all things that I've commanded you. And so we need to have enough basic information about the truths of scripture that we can actually teach it to others. Paul tells Timothy to find faithful men that you can pour into, that you can teach so that they can teach others also. He tells Titus that the older Christian women in the congregation ought to be teaching the younger Christian women. That, that we're, all of us are teachers. Now, some of us are called to do it full time, like I'm doing it. Not all of you will be called to this, obviously, but you're all called to teach. Christians are expected to be able to teach the basic truths of Christianity. I'm not saying public speaking necessarily. You know, some of you, there are stats. I think I said this last week. There are stats out there that people would rather die than public speaking, which is... Pretty funny. But, but what I am saying is you ought to be able, you could pull someone aside and teach them. You could share the gospel with someone. You could point them to the basic truths of Christianity. Um, a preacher, Vody Bakum, illustrated this in, in a sermon that he was preaching to men. And he said, we've really just set a really low standard for men in Christianity. And he said, let me give you an example. If you, if you have a young man in your congregation and he's studying theology and he's really interested in church history and he's really reading his Bible and he's really grabbing onto this stuff and he's really growing, you know what we do in churches? We say, hey, I think you're called to preach. Maybe you should go to Bible college. Instead of saying, that's just a mark of maturity as a Christian man. We've set the bar so low that if someone shows any interest in scripture or theology, we want to send them off to Bible college and make them a pastor. When, when Paul says a, a mark of a Christian man is sound in faith. And then he illustrates this. He said, we wouldn't settle for this in any other area of life. You talk to a man who's been laying bricks for 40 years. And a young man comes into the job and he says, can you teach me how to lay bricks? He's not going to say, hey, I ain't, no, I ain't no bricklayer. Right? No, he's going to take pride in the fact that he's been doing this for 40 years. And he's going to say, hey, come, I'll show you. But man, in our congregations, I'm not necessarily pointing you guys out. I'm just saying as a whole in America, there's this biblical literacy crisis and the bar is so low and all of us are like, ah, I'm not a teacher, you know, go see Pastor Michael. And we should strive to learn this stuff so that we can teach it to others. That's part of sharing the faith. So can you explain the basics of the Christian faith? Start here. Do you know the gospel? Like the saving truth, that the thing that we need to know if we're going to be saved from the wrath of God. That Jesus Christ died for our sins, that he rose again, that those who repent and believe in him can be saved. 
That's why to become a member here, you actually have to write out the gospel. You have to know the gospel because you need to be able to teach that. You need to be able to share it. Could you teach someone the basics of the Christian faith? And by the way, this is, this is really helpful because there's a lot of studies out there that say if you actually learn with the intent of teaching, you're going to retain a lot more of it and you're going to learn a lot more of it. Some of you know if you've ever prepared a lesson, man, you've got to know it to be able to teach it. And so let me just give you a little tidbit. If you're here on Sundays, ask yourself, what could I learn today that I could share with someone else? That I could, in my own words, synthesize and teach to someone else. That's going to help you listen actively because you've got to go share it. But man, part of the Christian life is learning and then teaching. We've got Pauls in our life that are pouring into us. And we've got Timothys in our life that we're pouring into. That's part of being a Christian. It's the discipled life and the discipling life. It's learning and helping others learn. So let me give you a few next steps. The New City Catechism that we do every single week, get the app, download it, and start reading through those questions and and reading the verses that go with it and learn the basic truths of Christianity. It's 52 questions that form a solid foundation for the Christian faith. Come to Wednesday night Bible study. Man, this Wednesday, we're going to set up extra tables because I'm just expecting more of you to come. You're like, "Oh, oh, oh, you're putting on the pressure, right? Men's and women's Bible studies this summer, we're breaking off from women in one group, men in others. And there's a Bible study where you can learn the faith. You can go on our podcast, our church podcast. You can find a book of the Bible, maybe Ephesians. We've gone through that or First Peter or Revelation. You can pick a book of the Bible and you can listen to those sermons as you study the word. But man, start to learn this stuff. And I'll just lay this out there for you. If, if you're like, man, I, can I use some help with this? Shannon and I have said this for years. We will have dinner with you. We will meet with you. We will see where you are. We will not judge you. We will not criticize you. We'll meet you where you are and we'll put you on a path to where you need to go to grow in this stuff. We want to help you because I'm telling you, this is for your good. Christians are expected to teach. As Christians, we need to discipline ourselves to learn and then we need to discipline ourselves to teach these glorious truths to others. Next, number three, it is expected that Christians mature. Middle of verse 12. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. Now we all know that babies can't handle solid food when they're first born. Right? They need to live on milk at first. But over time, we expect them to eventually move on to solid food. Right? That's just an expectation. But these Christians, along with many Christians today, have never moved on from the milk to the solid food. They're still toddlers in the faith. Some in the terrible two phase. None of you guys, right? But you know that phase that they just they can't do anything for themselves and they're just getting into trouble. They're just no, not just enough to get into trouble, right? What he's saying is you need to grow up. You can't handle the solid food that I want to teach you about the priesthood of Christ because you're so immature in your faith. I one time heard Matt Chandler illustrate this with the kiddie pool and, and I'll just kind of illustrate it for you. If you drove past our condo, if you go on the bridge in Caseville and look over, we're one of those condos. If you saw a little kiddie pool and you saw my nieces and nephews in there this summer splashing around, you'd be like, oh, that's cute, you know, and Shannon's taking pictures or whatever. But let's say you drove past the bridge and you look over and you see me in a kiddie pool splashing around. <laughs> like, ah, just having a good time in a kiddie pool on my pool. Like, you would be concerned, right? Like, I hope you'd call a meeting and consider a new pastor. I'm just, I'm just going to be honest with you, right? Like that's, no, you don't do that. You're a man, right? We have expectations in the physical world that people grow. And obviously there's tragic situations where that doesn't always happen. We're in a fallen world. But man, the expectation, the desire is that people grow. 
That they move on. That they move past this childhood phase and into adulthood. This is so clear. We want them to move on from milk and diapers. We want them to move on, to grow up, to, to, to get to the point where they can live life on their own. But sometimes we don't have that same expectation as a Christian. And all over the New Testament, all over the Bible, is the expectation that Christians grow. That when God changes you, there's actually a change. Who would have thought that? That when the supernatural God of the world raises your dead soul to life, breathes life into your lungs, makes you a Christian, that there's going to be a difference. But man, we have just set the bar so low that we don't even expect it anymore. And by the way, this is not all duty. You might be hearing all this list of things that I need to do. Man, this is a delight. How many of you are glad that you don't have to live off of milk anymore? Right? How many enjoy a good steak, nice chicken, some pork chops, some pizza or pasta, if you're not like me, okay? You like that stuff. You don't want to live off of milk. That, that stuff is awesome. And I'm just here to tell you, there's so much awesome stuff in here. But some of you are just settling with milk. There are glorious truths in here that will just light your soul on fire, I'm telling you. But you've got to get past the milk. You've got to grow up. And so, so this isn't just a duty. This is man stepping into the delight of knowing God deeper and knowing the glories of Calvary in a deeper way. Are you maturing in the faith? Are you able to handle solid food? Are you skilled in handling the word like it says? And finally, the fourth expectation that I want to lay out for you here is it's expected that Christians discern. Verse 14. It says, solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. In other words, when Christians start eating solid food and they start growing and maturing, what, they are, what they're expected to grow in is their ability to discern. One of my commentators defines discernment here as an accurate perception of reality. Enabling one to weigh the relative value of alternative courses of action and choosing what is superior. That's discernment. It has the idea of making a judgment. In fact, the word in the original has the idea of cutting between two. You're looking at reality. You have a biblical worldview. You're looking at the choices and you're making an accurate and right decision based on your discernment that God has given you. It's thinking biblically and applying the Bible to all of life. I found this truth to be particularly helpful because how do you know when someone's growing physically? Well, first of all, they're not splashing around in their kiddie pool as an adult, right? But they start to eat solid food. They grow up. They stop wetting the bed and wearing diapers, most of us, right? They stop playing video games and living in their parents' basement, right? Okay, sorry, Josh plays video games still, but he's not in his parents' basement, right? And he's okay with that, all right? He's trying, to, he's trying to tell me that that's actually normal for adults today to play video games. I'm like, you're right. Like, I'm, lear I'm learning that that's just a thing that adults do today. So we, I can't knock him for it um, like I do. But you get the idea. We have the idea that, and by the way, he doesn't live in his parents' basement. He's a very mature man, okay? He's, he's good to go. And, and he's growing in his theology like crazy, okay? Uh, he can put, put me to shame. <laughs> to be honest, I wrote that. Before I thought of Josh, and then I put, sorry, Josh, in my notes. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm still going to say it because it's funny. Okay, so let's move on. But you get the idea. There are marks that we look for physically for someone to grow, right? And we say, man, they're, they're growing. So what do we look for spiritually? Because it's hard to see this stuff sometimes. Well, we know that they're growing in love for God. 
That's one way. If you're, growing, if, you're, if you're growing in your love for God, you're growing as a Christian. You know you're growing in your love for others. That loving God flows into loving others. You know you're growing in making disciples, a desire to see others come to love God and love others. That's, that's our whole strategy as a church. Love God, love others, make disciples. You know you're growing in, in your Christian faith if you're starting to see the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, those things are starting to become marks of your life. That's why they're in the hallway as you leave each week, right? To just kind of read through that list and, and make sure it's the Spirit cultivating these things in my life. But here the author gives us a really healthy, really easy way to see whether or not people are growing and whether or not we're growing is are they growing in discernment? In other words, do they have a biblical worldview? Do they make wise, God-centered decisions? Do they apply the Bible to all of life? Do they build their marriage and their parenting on biblical principles? Do they know the scriptures? Do they, do they make decisions biblically? Do they have political views that are more in line with the Bible, not in line with their favorite political party? Are they discerning? Can they cut through it? Can they say, how does the Bible apply to this situation? When, when you look at the decisions they're making, the jobs that they're taking, the decisions they're making financially, are they biblically informed, discerning decisions? Are we thinking eternal, not just temporal? That's discernment. And man, when you're seeing that in a, in a Christian, when you're seeing that in your own life, you know you're growing. You know, you know you're maturing. And so I love that he gives us here because it's a really helpful marker to say, am I growing as a Christian? Am I growing in my discernment? Can I discern from good and evil? Because there's a lot of evil out there today that we need to cut through. We need to know the truth and apply it to our lives. Are you discerning as a Christian? Can you spot false teaching? Do you know enough scripture to apply it to your life? Are you able to distinguish between right and wrong? And so as we start to wrap things up, as we start to land the plane here, I just want to challenge you with a really simple truth. One that you've probably known your whole life. Never stop growing as a Christian. If I I had to summarize the the message, that's it. Never stop growing as a Christian. If you're brand new to the faith, we'll give you grace and space, all right? You just just started this thing, and you're like, whoa, this is a lot. Like, this isn't really for you. It's for those who've been Christians. He says, you ought to be teachers by now. So this is, they've been Christians for a while. But man, if you've been a Christian for 5, 10, 15 years, and, and there's no just gradual stumbling forward sometimes, but just gradual growth, Man, you need to hear this today. It's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. It's time to stop filling our schedules and our minds with the junk from TV and social media all week and get in the Bible and learn the rich truths of theology and be able to learn this stuff and teach this stuff and and be able to discern and be able to grow as Christians because eternal realities are at stake. It's time to grow up. And man, if you're like, I don't even know where to start, I'm telling you, Talk to me. I would love to help you start. But it's time to mature for God's glory and for your own good. We're called to love God with all of ourselves. And what is one of the things that we love God with? Our minds. Sometimes we separate like love for God from studying God. No, no, no. The more that I love Shannon, the more I know about her. I know what's important to her. I know her favorite dates. I know what she likes. I know what she doesn't like. I I, I seek to align the things that I do for her in line with what she loves. And the same is true with our knowledge of God. We love him with our minds. We know this God who has called us to himself. We know what he loves. We know what he hates. We pursue him. We, We love him. That's part of the Christian life. We love God. He's worthy of our worship in every aspect of life. So discipline yourself to learn. Discipline yourself to teach. 
Discipline yourself to mature. Discipline yourself to discern. And don't forget how this passage ends. 6-3. Look at chapter 6, verse 3. He says, this we will do if God permits. I love this. You know why? Because it takes the weight of the result off of us. Ultimately, this is a gift of God's grace. We take steps. We act the miracle in a sense. But God gives the fruit and God gives the grace. And some of you are going to grow more rapidly than others. That's okay. Sometimes the Christian life looks more like this, right, than just a, a solid step. But there should be little steps forward, right? So it may look like this, but it's sort of going up because we're on the way home to glory. I didn't plan that. That was weird, but whatever. <laughs> you get the point. God's going to do this in your life. I love to, th- to think of it as like a light switch when you walk into a dark room and you flip that light switch on. I didn't make the lights come on, right? But there's these switches that the electricians gave me that can make the lights come on. God's given us some switches that we can kind of flick up, but it's his grace. It's his grace from start to finish that makes this happen in our lives. And so don't take this as a burden to-do list to leave and, oh, I got to do this, this, and this, and I'm probably going to fail. And it's... No, take this as an awesome delight to step into and know that God's going to meet you there and he's going to pour on the grace and just keep stepping forward and he's going to keep helping you grow and learn and teach and mature and discern. And there's nothing better. There's nothing better than going deeper into knowing this God who has called us to himself. Peter summarizes the message nicely for us in his epistle when he says this, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Why? To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity Amen. So for the glory of God and the good of your soul, never stop growing as a Christian.